This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, let's do this thing. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News and Notes from the Underground for Tuesday, September the 7th. Hope everyone had a great Labor Day long weekend. I'm sure the uh, the radical left spent Labor Day maybe curled up with Das Kapital and Karl Marx's The Communist Manifesto. A little light reading for the radical left. It's great to be back. Uh, I miss you all. Yes, you too, Jacob. I miss you, buddy. And uh, I missed uh, I miss Lou's no-nonsense Long Island homespun wisdom as well. Lou, great to have you back. Hey, Richard. Great to be with you. You had a good day. Uh, hey, you're you're a clean shaven. What's going on? Uh, it's just, you know, time. Got to get the fur off. <laughs> you know, had to do it myself. My wife and daughter refused to assist. All it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of patchy. Right. Well, you don't want to, you know, you don't want Linda to handle the uh, the straight razor when, you know, <laughs> in a foul mood. Yeah, but it was a, um, you know, it's a, an electric clipper, right? Hey. Zoomer, you know, like, you know, when you go to the Marines, right? High and sure. tight, right? Well, is there something you're not telling us? Are you uh, are you joining the Marines? I wish I could, but I'm way too old for their recruit. Well, you can, uh, what you make up for in brawn, you make up for in brains, my friend. Well, I mean, it could be the case, but they're not recruiting in my age group. That's true. <laughs> they need way younger. Not yet. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> not a great weekend for the uh, the trust front of fun brat, huh? First, Why do you say that? Well, he's a, his official photographer had to delete his Twitter account because um, he posted photos of Trudeau campaigning inside a hospital. You know, that's a no-no. You can't go and visit your sick auntie. You can't uh, you can't go to and, and say goodbye to a friend in hospital who's dying of, uh, you know, who, whatever because of COVID. And uh, here he is glad handing, high fiving hospital patients 
they, you know, he's got a captive audience. At least they won't throw things at him in the hospital. Well, they got more lethal things to throw. You know, you think of a scalpel. That's true. That's that would be the doctors and nurses, though. Uh, and then, well, then, and then speaking of gravel. So then he's in London, I guess he was visiting what a, a brewery or something. He's heading back to the campaign bus and um, somebody throws gravel, not rocks, not boulders, not even stones. Technically, this is gravel, which is like, you know, one step up from sand, pretty much. Well, Pe- it depends. You know, I mean, uh, when you look at the gravel industry, Right. Yeah, um, I do they, every weekend. Well, yeah, they, you know, they start out taking big rocks and making little rocks and well, they can crush it to your specifications. They can make you pea gravel, like very, very, very small little pieces, you know. Oh, I thought when you said pea gravel, I thought you meant like, you know, kidney stones. Type of <laughs> so the industry is very sophisticated. It's called aggregates. Yes. And it includes sand. Uh, but so when I saw oh, they're throwing stones, no, when you're throwing gravel, you're talking, you're talking about much smaller pieces that, you know, maybe potentially could get somebody in the eye. Right. You know, you, don't, you can't condone it. It's absolutely, you know, it's. Just, I don't know. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean you can't condone it? I don't condone it. I, oh, don't, OK. You don't. don't. All right. We'll leave that one there. But I'm I'm saying, you know, the official position of this program is we don't condone, you know, throwing. Well, maybe they were trying to get his attention, you know, like lovers used to set throw pebbles up at windows to get the attention of their beloved. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. I maybe it was a love that. thing. Oh, here I am. I love you. I love you. <laughs> well, anyway, somebody, somebody yeah. was hurling. For whatever the reason was. For whatever reason, in the general direction of the of the trust fund, Brian. I, don't even I think it was a love thing. He doesn't even prove me wrong. I think it was love. I love you. Get my here. I am here. I am. Hey, if you want to roll with that, that's fine by me. I'm. What I'm saying is, we you know we don't even know if he was struck by the aggregate, by the pebbles, uh, and then on the on the campaign bus, he was asked by a reporter, and he says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I was hit or not. Uh, everybody should be, you know, angry. So this is the thing. Oh, Mad Max last week. Did you see this? Uh, it, it didn't get covered in the media last week at an event. He was out west and some. I would have to say rather disturbed individual walked up to Max to pose for a selfie and then slammed an egg. Oh, wow. Well. Right. Nobody mentioned that. Nobody's I saw it and I said, well, you know, it's not Halloween yet, but it's approaching. Right. Right. You know, egging somebody used to be, you know, a uh, things that kids did, at least in my neighborhood, egging a house and what have you. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're if you're a politician at some point, you're going to get you're going to get a cream pie in the face. It's, anything's possible. Right. But again, I think, you know, it's all a sign of love. I don't know why everybody, you know, throwing of pebbles or aggregate or eggs or cream pies is not a sign of love. It looks like love to me. All right. We're going to go with that. Well, I mean, it's there's only one narrative. It's negative. It's, uh, you know, it's it's people that you wouldn't want to be associated with. I said, no, think about it twice. You know, how come it only has one interpretation? This is what we love about you, Lou. You're always coming at it with a fresh perspective. Well, I mean, I'm just I I know that this is all political theater. I think you'd have to agree. Right. Uh, An election campaign. 
this kind of stuff, it's all theater. And I think we're going to get the ultimate theater on, uh, is it Wednesday? No, Thursday, the 9th, right? English debate. Are you going to be watching? Probably not. Really? Probably. Given how invested you are, are you still doing that uh, election 2021 with Mark Petroni? We are, yes. Every day? Monday to Thursday. Monday to Thursday. Okay, so you're pretty invested. How could you not? Because I have a sock drawer that needs rearranging. <laughs> That's why. Now, here's something I don't understand. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I don't know if you read this. Federal scientists are refusing to discuss pandemic plans with doctors during the election. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what the implications are. Uh, Tom Korski from Blacklock's Reporter is going to be here to uh, explain it. Uh, so I, what does that mean? Like, can a doctor just call up Dr. Tam and say, hey, wh- you know, what are our plans? What are we supposed to be doing? And and she slams the phone down or I, I can't talk to you. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but we'll. Uh, well, it's just talk. more nonsense, right? More nonsense, indeed. Um, so there's this uh, Ph.D. researcher. She goes by the handle Dr. Lindsay and not her real name, I don't think. Or she's just going by a first name. Shepard. No, no, she's uh, she's she's kind of hiding her identity because she. She's uh, concerned about potential, I guess, career repercussions uh, because she's rather outspoken. Anyway, her father, she and her father got into a screaming match at the end of her driveway uh, because her children, her sons, will not get vaccinated. And he's refusing to see his own grandsons until they do. So uh, she's going to be on the program. We're disguising her, her voice uh, to preserve her anonymity. And I suspect there's a lot more of this going on. Uh, than we can even imagine. This whole vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, it's its causing a lot of tension. It's possibly even tearing some families apart. So uh, we'll speak with uh, Dr. Lindsay. And uh, in a couple of days, our, our little treasures will be headed back to school. And I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people are feeling maybe more uncertain this year. They don't want a repeat of last year's fiasco. They're, they're, they're maybe anticipating, you know, things are going to get shut down. They don't want their kids wearing masks six hours a day. They're, they're worried maybe their, uh, their little ones might be coerced or tricked into taking a vaccine if assuming they don't approve. So lots of things. Uh, okay, so let me ask you this. Right. Why aren't people holding their children back from the education system? Yeah. Why, you know, if, you're, if you don't want your kids going to school, just hold them back. If you want them to go, let them go. Well, that's just it. That's I was going to get to that, Lou, because we have Ruth Gazkowski joining us, as she does every Tuesday, kind of a primer for homeschooling for those parents that are thinking about about doing just that, holding them back and saying, no, no, we're not going to do this again, because so, I always say you are your children's best teacher. OK, so um, let me ask you this. When you look at the education complex, uh, I guess, one to eight grades, one to eight. Right. How much is education and how much is uh, babysitting? I would say probably 70, 30. Which babysitting. way? Babysitting. Is the dominant objective. For sure. To provide people with childcare in the guise of education. Right. And then dealing with all the ridiculous distractions. And also it's to, it's, it, it's uh, for the parents, it's to, it coincides with the parents work schedule, right? Okay, so what if we took, assuming you got a a family unit with two parents, let's assume that. Mm -hmm. What if you took one of them out of the workforce? Wouldn't that reduce the labor force, increase the hourly wage for those that 
continue to go to work? Yeah, no, I think any any parent, if they're in a situation, if they're in a, a circumstance where they can do that, they can swing that. Absolutely. They should. Well, I mean, I look at it and say you want to, you know, drive the average wage higher, reduce the labor force. And I'm not saying women should be the ones at home. In fact, I know most of the guys I know, they're dying to be the at home, you know, uh, child uh, care supervisor and, uh, you know, home economists and all that. Right. Well, Most of my guys, you know, get together for some poker and beer in the afternoon. That's it. Right after geometry class. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, you know, I think there's solutions. You just got to seek them out. Well, you know, well, uh, maybe we can talk about this again later, but I, for example, daycare mm-hmm. my parent, you got two parents working and one of the parents income basically is going for daycare. And, you know, they're talking about national daycare programs and celebrating this idea. I think it's a sign of a, of a broken society. When you, when you need a national daycare program, that to me is an, is, is a fail. That's a failure. That's not the sign of a healthy society to have, you know, subsidized national daycare. Well, I mean, I, I just, it, first of all, it's a one size fits all model, right? Oh, this is the only way you can participate in it. And I think that that's the flaw in it. And I see that we're running out of time. So I, I think we'll have to hold this over and continue to have conversations about labor force participation and who really benefits from it. It's a date, my friend. Talk to you in an hour. Happy capitalism. All right. Federal scientists refusing to discuss pandemic planning with doctors during the election. What does that even mean? This is rather puzzling and disturbing. And that story is coming up in three minutes. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Speak with Canada's doctors on pandemic planning because of the election. This according to the Canadian Medical Association Journal. So again, the chief public health officer, Dr. Teresa Tam, said she can't discuss the incident. Well, I really uh, don't understand what this is all about exactly. This is rather disturbing, uh, at least on the surface. Let's uh, find out more. Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter. Tom, welcome back once again. How are you, my friend? I'm well, thank you, Richard. So what does this even mean that federal scientists will not speak to doctors about pandemic planning? What do we when we talk about federal scientists, we're talking about people like Dr. Tam, correct? Yeah, exactly. This is the public health agency. Dr. Tam does not work for the prime minister or cabinet. She works for the people of Canada and the people of Canada include doctors the Canadian Medical Association. The CMA has a publication. It's called The Journal. This is written by doctors, for doctors. This is not the Police Gazette, Richard. This is a periodical, peer-reviewed science in the middle of an outbreak of science that we know as the pandemic. And the CMA Journal states as fact, and we accept it, that they have been trying since July to speak to uh, members of a federal advisory panel on vaccination because they want to know about booster shots. They want information on whether children under 12 are now going to be enlisted in any vaccine program. They want to talk to Dr. Tam. And the public health agency told them to drop dead. And the reason given was 
because it's in an election, maybe after Thanksgiving, after the election, a month after, maybe we'll get back to the Canadian Medical Association in a medical emergency. Unbelievable. Well, as you say, the, the, the Public Health Canada, they work for the people of Canada. What does an election have to do with Dr. Tam's availability to pick up the phone and speak to a doctor? Well, presumably because someone in the prime minister's office is worried about the science. In a campaign where the uh, public health agency knows over 5 million Canadians have declined a vaccination to date, where the issue is now so political, the prime minister has campaigned to introduce an act of parliament that would allow any company, organization, service club, anybody, anywhere, to compel proof of vaccination and be shielded from liability. He has proposed an act of parliament that would say those people can't be sued. That's removal of a statutory right. That's a big deal. That's how political vaccinations have become. What does this have to do with Dr. Temp? Nothing. Do your job. We asked. What do you care if there's an election? Well, I can't discuss this particular incident, she said. You know, Richard, if they don't want to take my questions, I don't blame them. It happens all the time. You don't want to talk to reporters. That's anybody's business. If you don't want to talk to the Canadian Medical Association in the middle of a pandemic, that's everybody's business. Right. And and you say perhaps the motivation here is uh, they're getting some directive from the uh, the liberals and they're they're embarrassed by the science or they're they're afraid of the science. What? What could be in the science that they're afraid of, that that there's no need uh, or that vaccine passports don't work or that the vaccinated are the ones maybe driving part of this pandemic? What what do any 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 ideas? Well, it's speculative, but but there is one fact. The speculative is booster shots. But this is just going to go on and on and on. (laughs) This is going in to twenty twenty two with booster shots and then proof of a booster shot. But here's a fact, Richard. This is a fact. You haven't seen this too many places. Did you know the federal cabinet approved a $75 million fund to cover burial expenses, funeral expenses, I'm quoting from a briefing note, for people who are killed by the vaccine. They say, look, it. it's highly improbable, but no vaccine is 100% safe. A $75 million compensation fund for people who die from taking their Health Canada-approved vaccine. That's the sort of thing that cabinet would really not want to be discussed. So if you let Dr. Tam, a scientist, talk to other scientists and they start engaging in very high-level science talk, how many vaccines, what are the risks, what is the scope, and that's published by the Canadian Medical Association Journal, apparently that's too hot to handle. How serious a pandemic can it be if A, they're calling an election in the midst of it, and B, whether they're telling the, the, the federal scientists, basically just, you know, put your feet up and relax until after Thanksgiving, because I don't want you talking to doctors. How well, serious? point taken. Point taken, Richard. But, you know, they used to call this a press gag in the old days. And, and why don't we just call it what it is now? If the public health agency does not want to talk to the Canadian Medical Association about the pandemic, presumably on instructions, it's not like they can't spare half an hour 
to talk to the nation's doctors. That sounds like a press gag. Now you're getting into sort of crazy town. This is just frankly starting to get bizarre. And obviously, whatever has to be discussed is, like I say, too hot to handle. Apparently, voters can't handle it. All the voters who read the CMA journal, (laughs) they're not going to get the goods from the public health agency. Well, great job, as always, uh, Tom, staying on this story. Um, Blacklocks.ca is the website. Blacklocks.ca. Do yourself a favor. Subscribe. Tom, always appreciate it. Thank you kindly, Richard. Tom Korski, Managing Editor at Blacklocks Reporter. Coming up, a personal story from a Ph.D. researcher with two young adult sons. They chose not to get vaccinated, so their grandfather forbid them from seeing him. We'll have that Coming up in three minutes. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Now, she goes by Dr. Lindsay on social media, and uh, she's here with what I'm guessing is an increasingly more common situation. Family members pitted against one another because of... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The COVID vaccine. Now, we've disguised her voice to protect her anonymity. Let me read from Dr. Lindsay's Twitter profile. Horrified PhD mom, former CBC lover, listening for a long time on my other account, but can be quiet no longer. Hashtag Trudeau must go. Dr. Lindsay, welcome to the program. How are you? Tell me about the situation that evolved between your children, your sons and your father. Yeah, so my kids are pretty close to my dad. He visited us pretty much weekly during the pandemic. My kids are older. They are not vaccinated and partly because they both already had COVID. And my dad, upon discovering their vaccination status, he was fine with it at first, but then got quite upset and indicated that he couldn't come and visit anymore. But it resulted in him yelling in the driveway that they must get vaccinated, and which was pretty hurtful and upsetting. I mean, I totally honor and respect his risk assessment in terms of whether he wants to be around us. He has to do his own risk assessment. I mean, I feel given the fact that we've had COVID, it's fairly low, but I totally respect that uh, risk assessment. But for him to be yelling at us, uh, it's not. Didn't feel it was appropriate. Approximately how old is your father? He's in his 70s. And does he have underlying conditions? Uh, Yeah, he has a few, but he's not. He's fairly healthy. Right. Um, And he's, of course, fully vaccinated. 
I think the thing that, you know, like my, he's a very um, friendly and sociable and outgoing guy. And during many of the lockdowns, continued with his fairly ambitious social schedule, which is great for him. I'm glad he has so many friends. But, you know, there were lots of times that we felt, you know, he was actually exposing us to more risk than if we were exposing him just due to his social behavior. So, you know, like, I mean, fundamentally, and, and of course, that wasn't, we didn't turn around and say, no, you can't go out and see your friends, right? Like, that's his choice. If he's taking a liberal interpretation of what a bubble means, that's, you know, I feel that's his choice to make. I right. How did your sons react when they found out that grandpa couldn't see them anymore? I, I actually, they were surprisingly hurt. They were, and, but I think it was just more that he felt that he should tell them what they can do with their bodies. Um, and, you know, like, without him really going through the risk stratification algorithm, right, and understanding that for them, the risk is considerably lower than it is for him. And so, you know, what he's asking them to do exposes them to risk. And, you know, and fair enough, maybe that, you know, if we care about all the grandpas in the world, maybe that is a reasonable thing to do. But without him actually kind of understanding that risk stratification, I, I was a little bit upset by his statements. Then you walked your dad through some of the statistics. What did you tell him? I, I went through bears, and we can talk a, a little bit about the quality of the bears data, but I just, you know, calculated um, risk of death, life-threatening event, or permanent disability is based on the bears data. But I also did look at sports from the various provinces and calculated, you know, one in X risk, right? So even if you look at just the Ontario um, data, which is actually fairly good and decently age stratified, the myocarditis risk looks like it's running at about one in 6,000 for, you know, teen males. And, you know, the overall risk is in Canada is running at one in 14,700, right? So, you know, that's, they're not huge risks, but they do exceed their risk from COVID, right? So I just, I walked him through some of that and provided him with some of the statistics so he could think about it. Right. And I think the surprising thing for him, for me out of the conversation was that he really thought there was zero risk. He, he, he had not heard any risk. He didn't, the notion of any risk was completely foreign to him. And he, he really truly thought there was zero risk. He wasn't aware that there was any risk for young adults to take the vaccine. He wasn't aware that right. there was any risk for anyone to take the vaccine. Right. But yes. And when you laid this out for him, what was his reaction? I think he was just a bit more understanding, right? He was, he realized that maybe yelling at us in the driveway was not an appropriate reaction. I mean, these things have to be conversations, not the divisiveness that is occurring in Canada and around the world is really concerning. Like we need to be able to have conversations and share what each other knows. And nobody's knowledge is perfect. But, you know, being able to have a conversation about it and say, this is why we made this decision. This decision isn't necessarily permanent. That was what I had hoped to achieve. With the right. I, I, I understand he ended up apologizing. Is that correct? He did. Yeah, he apologized for getting angry with us. And now are, the, are your children allowed to visit him? Is he allowed? Does he come over? We haven't really landed on that because I think, you know, again, important to it was honoring his risk assessment, right? And if he doesn't feel safe, that's that's fair. But also having him understand the decisions that we've made and be okay with it. I still think he may come over, he, but he's thinking maybe he'll do it in an outside setting or something like that. So. All right. When we come back, more of my conversation with Dr. Lindsay right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. 
Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Hey, Richard Serrett here, and I'm here with Dr. Cass Ingram, the author of 30 books on natural healing. Cass, you and I have known each other for more than 25 years. I think of you as Dr. Oregano, and I know you're wild about wild oregano and yeah. the oregano P73 juice, but it's different than the oregano oil. How? Hey, when I was in the mountains, the village chief said, look, we don't use oregano oil. We use the juice, and he pulls out these pop bottles he made in his backyard, and they're using it for heart disease, cancer, and bronchitis as well well as diabetes, and he's claiming it works. Well, for 20 years I've been using it. It does the job. Thanks, Cass. Oregano P73 juice from North American Urban Spice, available at health food stores across the GTA. You can order online at oregano.com. That's O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. 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 Oregano juice from oregano.com. Uh, Dr. Lindsay, as she goes by on social media, is facing something I think many, many families are facing. And that has to do with the vaccinated being pitted against the unvaccinated and vice versa. In her case, her father, grandfather to her two sons, will not allow them to see him because they've chosen as young adults not to be vaccinated. Back to uh, our discussion. I'm guessing, uh, just anecdotally, I'm hearing similar stories, other families. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on the messaging that has come from public health and our elected representatives. They're supposed to be representatives and not rulers. I'm not sure that they're behaving as representatives. But do you feel that public health and politicians have really contributed to, in some cases, causing a great deal of stress within families or maybe even tearing families apart? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, it's it's terrible. That's the worst part. Not only families, but friends as well. It's it's the worst part of it. It feels like, you know, they're trying to polarize this debate and make a certain group into the enemy. When, you know, I think we know from studies around the world that vaccinated people can spread the disease. There's lots of studies to show that. And, you know, the way where public health is treating vaccinated people, if you have a case in your household, vaccinated people do not need to self-isolate. They can go along with their days. So they're fully exposed to someone in their household, but yet carrying out their regular activities without any isolation required. Now, perhaps, you know, vaccinated people spread it less. Maybe they are less likely to get it, but that still seems like a public health loophole that I feel is spreading the disease, and yet it's being let, laid solely at the feet of the unvaccinated, who may be more attentive to their symptoms, um, less likely to have less symptomatic cases, and therefore just as likely to spread. So, yeah, it, it's I really am worried about the divisiveness that our leaders are putting out there. It's, it's truly awful. Dr. Lindsay, we've disguised your voice so that there are no repercussions for you in your in your workplace. So I don't know if you can answer this question, but you are a PhD. Can you tell us a little bit about your your background, what it is that you do? Um, I'm a researcher. That's probably all I should say for now. I've been a researcher in a few different subject areas, but that's my work as a researcher. Okay, and you don't have to answer this, but are you vaccinated? If you care, if you say I, I, I prefer not to answer, that's fine. Uh, I think I prefer not to answer. Okay. All right. Would you be in jeopardy of losing your job based on your vaccine status? Um, not at the precise moment, but yeah, likely down the road. And so that, you know, that's part of the reason why, why I may or may not be vaccinated. Um, 
the decision is not just one about health, right? If it was just about health for me, I've already had COVID, I don't, I wouldn't be worried about getting it again, but um, we're spreading it. Um, but, you know, that is not necessarily the decision associated with getting the vaccine anymore. Are you at all disappointed or angry that the current vaccine passport system does not make allowances for previous infections and where a lot of the data now coming out seems to indicate a far more robust immune response from the pre- from a previous infection than from even two vaccines? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's what is the most concerning about a lot of these mandates is that they don't consider natural immunity. So why not? I mean, nobody's answered that question other than some vague suggestion that people who are who have um, had COVID can get it again, but people who are vaccinated can also get COVID. So it, I feel, yeah, that, that is what makes a lot of these mandates really kind of make people question whether this is about our health and public health or something else. Uh, Dr. Lindsay, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think is important to mention? Anything you'd like to say in closing? Just that we really do need to have conversations about this that are open and um, vulnerable and compassionate instead of the conversations that are happening, which are really divisive and spiteful, and it's, it's truly shocking. Dr. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Dr. Lindsay. Again, not a real name and obviously not her real a voice, but this is a situation uh, that I think is becoming more and more common within families, within households. Uh, maybe one parent chooses to be vaccinated and thinks the children should be vaccinated and the other parent uh, feels c- the complete opposite. Uh, in fact, actually, I'd like to offer um, or, or a request people listening, if this has happened to you in your house, it's a house divided again because of the vaccine. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to just drop me a quick note at um, Richard at saga960am.ca Richard at saga960am.ca and maybe I'll uh, I'll pick a few out and read those towards the end of the week. All right, in our in a few days our little treasures headed back to school. Many of you I'm guessing are rather anxious about the whole thing. Will last year's complete fiasco that was the school year repeat itself? Uh, maybe Maybe now you're actually considering homeschooling your child. It's something I encourage every parent to do, who's, uh, whoever is able to do so. If that's you, you've come to the right place. Our homeschooling expert, Ruth Gaskowski, joins us every Tuesday with some advice and some resources. And she's coming up in three minutes. This is New Sox Saga 960 AM. And this is The Richard Serrett Show. Hey, welcome back. So some of you have uh, sent your children off to school today. Uh, in my case, it's on uh, Thursday, first day of school. And many of you are uh, thinking about whether homeschooling might be a good choice this year, given the con- uh, continued uncertainties about uh, future lockdowns and uh, here to uh, help and assist and advise our good friend, Ruth Gaskowski. Hello, Ruth. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me again. My pleasure. So what do you think are some of the the reasons that from last year I mentioned, you know, the possibility of a future lockdown, which seems to be hanging over our heads like the sword of Damocles. But what are some of other other things maybe parents observed last year in in their in their children from school that might tilt 
them in favor of homeschooling this year? Right. I think what I've heard from many families um, was that their children were struggling with kind of the patchwork learning. So we had online learning, we had the quad masters, and we had compressed curriculum. And all of that affected the outcomes, and especially it affected elementary school children. I think that's where we heard most of the complaints from that. They just managed quite poorly during this year, or many of the students did, and many of them have not made much academic progress. And so parents and teachers together will have to figure out this year how to kind of fill that that pandemic learning gap. I've met some parents uh, during the summer that have just ended up hiring tutors to try and kind of patch up whatever was missed during the year. And uh, but as you said, school just started today, but we already hear kind of the drums of the, the looming lockdowns and the dire predictions for the fall. And at this point, we really don't know whether these possible lockdowns will burden students again with um, not having access to school in person, whether they have to switch online again at some point. And then there's also the prolonged masking mandates. And so from a learning perspective, we know that students just need stability and they need consistency to learn well and to thrive in learning. And uh, so I think that is why uh, some parents may consider homeschooling might be a good choice because we know that it's solid, it's dependable, and it's not affected by those situational changes and it's not affected by uh, provincial lockdown mandates. Right. Now, what about parents who are thinking back to what happened last year? They're thinking about homeschooling and then think, you know what? Uh, it was pretty challenging having my child at home, you know, for a long stretch. Um you know, that if that's what homeschooling is like, I don't know if I'm I'm ready for that. What do you say to the, those those parents? Right. I think I would agree with them. I think if that was what homeschooling was like, I don't think I would do it either. But that is not what homeschooling is like. What parents experienced this year wasn't homeschooling. It was kind of a flawed band-aid solution. They were dependent on the curriculum that was mandated to them by the schools and on the schedules that were mandated to schools. So they were kind of locked into the school system at home. But that's actually the exact opposite of homeschooling. Because uh, in homeschooling, the parents and students have control over what curriculum you choose and how you schedule your day and at what pace the material is covered. So that actually leaves both the parent and the student with an immense amount of freedom and also reduces stress, which I think is, is not what parents experienced at home. I think what they experienced was very stressful situations with their children. But for example, like if your child is struggling with a particular area during this year where they kind of maybe fell behind, maybe they need more help in reading, you can choose to spend most of your day just sitting and reading together to try and address a certain area of weakness um, and can really structure time around that. Or if your child has mastered an area and wants to speed ahead, um, you can do so without having them keel over from boredom because they have to be stuck in a certain subject. So, again, the flexibility of homeschooling is something that's very, very different. The freedom that it offers compared uh, to what the school system does. So let's assume then that someone listening has decided that they're going to homeschool this year. This is the first time they're going to take it on. What do they do? So I just want to make clear, I'm not a homeschool evangelist. I might sound like one, but I am not. <laughs> but um, because homeschooling is not the right choice for everyone. But I think it is a lot more possible 
than people might think. I often hear uh, parents when they meet me and they say, oh, we've been homeschooling for 10 years. They say, what? That's great, but I could never do that. And I kind of say to them, actually, I feel similarly about what they're doing. I think, gee, it must be exhausting to send your kid off to school, prepare lunches, help them with homework, go to work. That sounds exhausting to me. So I just want to make clear that homeschooling is actually much simpler than people think because it's really just about making an educational choice. Because educating children is work, whether you send them to school or whether you have them at home, it's work. Uh, But if you do choose homeschooling as an option, it's good to know that you can actually start at any point in the year. So you might think, oh, school has already started, the year's over, I can't make this choice anymore. That's not true. You can make this choice at any point in the year. And all you really have to do is submit a letter of intent to homeschool to your local school board and, and then take it from there. Be clear about why you want to homeschool, make a plan, and then start the process. And I have on my website lots of resources to help you get started with curriculum, with scheduling, and also with connecting with other homeschoolers who can help you along this educational journey. Humanitasfamily.net. Humanitasfamily.net is the website. All sorts of great uh, resources, articles, uh, and the like there. Ruth Gaskowski stays with us. Uh, obviously, the, the, uh, the, the first thing you also you need to do is, is make sure that you and your, your spouse are on the same page when it comes to this decision. Yes, um, I would say that is a, a foundational thing. There are some parents who choose to go into this kind of slightly disagreeing on the point, And I think sometimes they might not 100% agree, which I think is okay. But I think if you have a spouse who fundamentally opposes you in homeschooling, that is a very difficult situation. And I would, I would say I would probably not recommend it because then uh, either side is constantly under pressure to try and prove their point. And that's also not an ideal educational situation. So I think... Discussing this choice with your spouse and being on the same page is a very important part of it. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Uh, Very quickly, Ruth, at humanitasfamily.net. Let me spell that. It's human, H-U-M-A-N-I-T-A-S, family.net, humanitasfamily.net. If if people visit the website, are they going to find resources like good textbooks, uh, recommended textbooks or online courses and the like? All of it. (laughs) 
all of the above. And uh, I'm setting up a quick start link because I think one of the things is there's so many resources out there now, it's overwhelming for people. And I'm kind of like a person who prefers to go to a small store with very few choices, but I know they're great choices. So I will just put down what I, from experience and from other homeschoolers experience, know are great resources. So there won't be a vast amount. You don't have to be flooded with it. Um, but rather just good choices that you know are solid, dependable, and give you great academics. Fantastic. Ruth, as always, much appreciated. Great work. Thanks, Richard. Ruth Gaskowski, HumanitasFamily.net. All right, hour two awaits. Another visit from the irascible but lovable Lou, the German word of the day, news not in news. We'll also tell you about the situation out in Alberta. A hospital is refusing life-saving surgery to a woman unless she takes the COVID vaccine. And Andrew uh, Lawton from True North will be here with uh, some coverage of the upcoming federal election. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Andrew Lawton, good friend of the program and a fine reporter from True North will be here, also host of The Andrew Lawton Show, and we'll uh, we'll discuss the, uh, the ongoing federal election campaign. Not a great weekend, as I said, for the uh, News. Justin Trudeau, of course, uh, had some gravel thrown in his general direction. Um, not sure if he was struck by a pebble or any aggregate or not, uh, but he doesn't seem to think that matters. And of course, um, the media is uh, is outraged on his behalf, although they had nothing to say when Max Bernier, the leader of the, the People's Party of Canada, was uh, struck in the head with an egg at close range. Absolute crickets on that one. And uh, of course, um, the uh, trust fund brats puppet master, Gerald Butts, uh, also outraged. Uh, seems to me, though, that um, they should pull the uh, the assailant aside and uh, tell that person what they've said to all of the radical left terrorists that have set fire to uh, churches across country. We understand your anger. We understand your anger. They're there. It's OK. Uh, that's not likely to happen. Uh, we'll also revisit a, a conversation I had from last week with uh, the lawyer of a, uh, a 56-year-old woman in Edmonton. She is in dire need of a lung transplant after exposure to asbestos. She needs a lung transplant and uh, she, will, she will die without it. She doesn't have long. And she's been told she will be taken off the transplant, uh, transplant list unless she takes the COVID vaccine and she doesn't want to. And um, she basically, she recorded the conversation she had with this doctor at the, uh, the, the hospital in Edmonton and they acknowledged, yes, you, you'll die without the, without uh, the, the lung transplant. And uh, if you don't take the vaccine, well, you're going to die because you're not getting the lung. This is what it's come to in this country. All right. Uh, we've got uh, Lou, German word of the day, and uh, much more coming up in, well, right after this. News, not in the news. Not in the news. 
So, Lou, we were talking about uh, the aggregate that was hurled in the general direction of the prime minister. And I say you did a little uh, a little uh, homework here. Uh, have you I know you speak to the uh, the concrete association or the concrete industry. Do you likewise speak to the aggregate or the gravel industry? They're kind of one and the same uh, in that you can't make concrete uh, without um, uh, without aggregate. Right. So it's a it's a very specific chemistry. Right. It's a uh, chemical process of mixing cement with mm -hmm. aggregate water and additives to get an outcome that you're looking for. So I do know something about it. Plus, I've been in gravel pits uh, in my past. I knew people that were uh, operating uh, sand and gravel businesses and so on. So I know something about it. Not a ton. I'm not an expert, but I know something about it. So I guess it would be preferable to have aggregate thrown in your general direction than be fitted for concrete uh, galoshes. Um, Those would be cement. Cement galoshes, yes. Oh, sorry, concrete, you're right. I'm making a mistake there, sorry. But you sent me something here. It's called the Uden-Wentworth scale of gravel. Right. And the stuff that you would find, like, in the back of an arena or wherever that facility was, right. right, that's just loose gravel kicked around from, you know, different parts of the facility and what. Uh, I wouldn't think that it's very large, you know, whatever. I, like I said, I think it was like a lover trying to get Trudeau's attention. You who I love you. <laughs> well, you're right, because here's the here's the thing. Lack of details. Right. Uh, it could have been. And, and I'm looking here now at the Uden Wentworth scale for gravel that you've sent me. It could have been granular gravel, which is two to four millimeters. Pretty small. It could be pebble gravel, which is anywhere from four to sixty four millimeters. Uh, or. Um, and then it could be fine, medium, and coarse. So ranges from two to six point three, or twenty to sixty-three millimeters. So depending on the the uh, the scale of the gravel, that's important to know. Yeah, and it's also important to know the intent. You know, the uh, the intent in the reporting seems to be, or the supposition of the intent is that it's anger, as opposed to, in my case, I would say. Geez, you know, people have thrown pebbles at my window saying, you who I'm here. <laughs> right. That's that's what I know. Right. Right. But well, see, that reporter was uh, uh, pounced upon by uh, colleagues in the mainstream media because the reporter asked Trudeau whether you were actually even struck by any gravel. And Trudeau said, what does it matter if I was struck? They threw it at me. Now, that's you know, that's kind of an important detail. You know, well, it says that more training is required. <laughs> oh dear! Yes. All right. I don't mean when I say accuracy. I'm not talking about on the part of the uh, the gravel thrower. I'm talking about the, on the part of the reporter. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> when you're reporting on something, you need to know. You know, was the was the was uh, the prime? What was the intent? What was how the can how can you uh, ascribe intent? Right. Exactly. I don't know without evidence, without testimony. Seems, you know, how do I know it wasn't a paid operative? True. Yeah. You mentioned right. last time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm paranoid on a good day. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A little uh, German word. Actually, it's the German idiom of the day. The Bring German it on. Of the day. Jody, if you please. Uh, 
German idiom of the day is Ein Fisch auf dem Trockenen. Ein Fisch auf dem Trockenen. 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 Ein Fisch auf Ein Fisch auf dem Trockenen. Okay. Auf. Out. Yeah, very good. Okay, all right. Give me the rest. A fish on the dry is the On the dry, like gravel. On the dry, yes. The meaning, the actual meaning is a fish out of water. I, I love it. And trockenen, a fish out of water. There you go. Another useful term, right? Should you be uh, headed to Germany for Oktoberfest, you'd be able to, you know, describe a situation. Excellent. Ein Fisch auf dem Trockenen. <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> Dunkopf. <laughs> I haven't heard that one since Hogan's Heroes. There you go. All right. Oh, I got to have. Now, this is like just silly season. Rutgers University. Did you see this? I saw this in the, in the uh, New York Post. Rutgers University, which I believe is that in New Jersey, I think. It is. Yeah. They have banned an unvaccinated student from a Zoom class. So, you know, it's one thing to mandate vaccines for students for in-person learning. They've actually banned an unvaccinated student from a Zoom class. What do you think of that? Well, it's New Jersey, right? The land of ridiculous. So, you know, I'm not surprised by it. And in fact, I'm surprised it's not happening at Fairleigh Dickinson, also known as Fairly Ridiculous you know, as a university. So I'm not surprised given the jurisdiction. However, I will say this, perhaps they're concerned about his access to uh, facilities of the institution, such as the library, the student common, that sort of thing. So, you know, you're registered for an online course. You may have certain privileges on campus. Okay, we're, we're back. All right. Sorry, we you know it's it's a bit of a uh, a water bucket brigade here when we're doing the show remotely. I guess that was a weather warning, was it? I wasn't able to hear it. We had a weather warning, Lou. That's all. Okay. Okay. Are, so, are we carrying on? No, now we're getting the rap. <laughs> all right. All right. You know what? It's you know after a long weekend, anything's possible. Hey, a little extreme weather coming our way. Folks got to know, right? Okay. I'll let you go. Happy capitalism. Talk tomorrow. All right. When we come back, we'll talk about this um, patient who's been uh, basically given an ultimatum in Edmonton. Take the COVID vaccine or we're not giving you a new lung. We'll have that story in three minutes. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk. Saga 960 AM. The University of Alberta Hospital has threatened to take a terminally ill 56-year-old woman off of a donor list for a lung transplant because she has chosen not to receive the new COVID-19 vaccine. Alison Pajovich is a staff lawyer with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. She's here with that story. Alison, welcome. Thank you, Richard. This is disturbing, to say the least. Um, so what can you tell us uh, about the patient that I haven't mentioned already? Well, uh, you said that she's 56 years old. Uh, she was exposed to asbestos uh, earlier in her life and has been suffering with this condition called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis for the past couple of years. It is a terminal condition. She's only got 40% left of her lung capacity. She needs an oxygen machine to breathe. 
And she went through a rigorous uh, process to get on the donor list, the recipient list for two lungs. And she was approved uh, to get a transplant. She's sitting currently number two near the top. So she's next in line, um, second in line for a transplant. And the uh, hospital lung transplant program, uh, they required her to get all of her childhood vaccinations, which she agreed to do. She's not an anti-vaxxer. And recently they told her that she would not be able to get her transplant without getting the new COVID-19 vaccine. And Ms. Lewis does not want to get the COVID-19 vaccine. She's uh, scared because it's experimental. It's still undergoing clinical trials and there's no long-term safety data. She conveyed those concerns to the lung transplant team and was advised that she would be taken off the donor list if she didn't comply and get the COVID-19 vaccinations. So she's been going back and forth with this group of doctors trying to convince them to keep her on the list and give her the transplant, but they are refusing to do so. So she came to us to see if there's anything that we could do. And as you said, I'm a staff lawyer at the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedom. We have written these doctors a letter uh, yesterday uh, asking them to remove that requirement within the next seven days. So uh, we have a video, an audio recording of those doctors telling Ms. Lewis that right. uh, in full understanding that if she doesn't get the COVID-19 vaccination, she'll be off the list. And Ms. Lewis confirmed on the recording, you know what will happen to me if I don't get the transplant. And the response from the doctors was yes. In other words, she. In other words, she will. She, yeah, she'll die if she doesn't get the transplant. She's going to die. They're going to let her die if she doesn't want to be part of this experiment. And I use the word experiment because the COVID nineteen vaccines, unlike other vaccines in Canada, which have been around a long time and which she's gotten, is under interim authorization. It doesn't have full market approval in Canada. The clinical trials are ongoing until twenty twenty three. So there's no long-term safety data, and she's afraid. She doesn't know what's going to happen to her if she gets the vaccine, what will happen to her later on. And that's, that's the choice that she's made. She's willing to take the risk, get the transplant without getting the vaccine. And they have said no, and they know she's going to die. Now, the, the hospital, the University of Alberta Hospital in Edmonton, are they the only hospital in Alberta that, that performs these transplants? I don't have that information. Um, it's interesting, you know, uh, that, that she has this, she's in need of a lung transplant because she was exposed to asbestos, which uh, I believe at one point must have been approved, you know, for, for use by a government agency. Uh, so you know, it's kind of ironic now that, that, that through no fault of her own, she's exposed to asbestos. She gets sick. She needs a new lung. And now, the, the you know, the government is saying you can't have uh, a new lung to save your life because you won't take our vaccine. It just it, it's well, it's it's coercive, to say the least and unethical. Is it legal? Well, we would say no, it's illegal, certainly unlawful from the point of view of the charter and the charter applies to actions by hospitals in Canada. And so, you know, we may take this further. We may take it to a court. And, and our argument is that this violates her Section 7 constitutional right uh, to life, liberty, and security of the person. As I said, if she doesn't get this transplant, she's going to lose her life. 
I don't know if you know how many others are, are in a similar situation on that list waiting for a life-saving transplant and will be essentially, uh, in many cases, coerced into taking a vaccine. Do you know how many there are on the, on the list? We don't know, but there were a couple of articles coming out of the United States that I've seen just within the last few weeks where this has happened to other patients um, which who required other um, organ transplants. But I do not have any other information as that would be private for a Canadian, um, for anyone else on that list. I just don't know. So... Um I know this is happening elsewhere. Right, right. I'm sure it is. So the, uh, they have seven days to reply. If uh, if they if they reply in the negative, what is the next step? Well, we're going to be looking at uh, possibly bringing an injunction in Alberta to uh, ask the court to uh, force the doctors to remove that requirement and keep her on the list, so that when it's her turn, and as I said, she's second from the top, that she will get that transplant. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll watch this with interest. This is uh, very disturbing, very disturbing indeed. Alison Pajovich, staff lawyer with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. When we come back, Andrew Lawton from True North joins us and we'll uh, discuss the 2021 federal election campaign thus far. Stay with us. Continuing with the conversation, this is The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right, let's get our good buddy Andrew Lawton in here from True North to discuss the federal election campaign thus far. Andrew, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm good, Richard. How are you doing? I'm very well. Let me ask you something. I know you um, you you covered the conservatives. Uh, when, when you get on these uh, uh, planes, the campaign uh, planes. Um, how's the food and so forth? How do they treat you? <laughs> well, it was interesting. That was actually one of the first things I was warned by some of my colleagues on the plane. They said, you know, the conservative food's not as good as the liberal food. So I don't know if that's just about the conservatives being frugal or if that's, uh, you know, perhaps the conservatives uh, showing what they think of the media. But uh, it, it wasn't great, I'll, I'll say that. There were a couple of standouts when we were in the East Coast. Everyone was getting lobster rolls. Uh, but other than that, there were uh, – it wasn't anything I would order necessarily. And were you, were you even allowed on the Liberal plane? Well, I haven't tried this year. I was feeling so good about being allowed on the conservative plane. I didn't want to, like, you know, follow it up by uh, being banned from another. Uh, The standing ruling from the Liberals as of 2019 is that I'm not a real journalist and thus not allowed to cover their events. But you know what? If Justin Trudeau uh, comes to a town that I happen to be in, I will uh, test my luck. But I haven't gotten there yet. I want to ask you about the upcoming uh, debate on uh, Thursday, Thursday night. And um, I guess the commission, the Election Debate Commission, is pretty much controlled by the CBC, from what I understand. And uh, they've decided that there will be no discussions. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. 
Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Uh, relating to foreign affairs issues. Is that because they're the CBC, again, carrying water for the prime minister and they don't want him to be embarrassed because it's just been one debacle after another on that file? Well, you know, it's interesting because it's not actually as, as clear cut as saying CBC runs it. The, the Liberals created this entirely new bureaucracy shortly before the 2019 election, and they've expanded that bureaucracy since the election. On former Governor General David Johnston, a, a very opaque group of, of people working for him. And, and then you have, of course, CDC and, and some other members of the mainstream media that are involved in the so-called debate broadcast group. But it, it's not actually clear who was coming up with these topics and who was coming up with these themes. Uh, regardless, whether it's, you know, perhaps to try to tip the hand in favor of the liberals or simply because they don't know any better, it, it's shameful. We're in the midst of an Afghanistan crisis. We have a, a growing conflict with China. We've got Canadians that are imprisoned without due process in China. And not a single one of the categories will touch on any of these issues. Now, uh, I'm not sure exactly how the format will work this time around, but could, let's say, O'Toole just on his own start, you know, bring bring that up in the middle of maybe he's addressing another issue and he and, and just stop himself and just and start hammering the prime minister on Afghanistan, the two Michaels, uh, and all things China. Could he do that or would he be called like out of order? Well, it's, it's not exactly clear how aggressive the moderators are going to be on this. You know, he could in the section on reconciliation say, you know, he could use, you know, of his 90 seconds, he could say in 15 seconds his position on indigenous issues and then spend the remaining 75 talking about China and Afghanistan. I mean, if you do that, you certainly are going to get criticized for not talking about the, the actual topic. There are some opportunities, maybe in closing statements, that you could gear into some of these areas. Perhaps there's one section on accountability, which is pretty broad, so you could sort of talk about it there. But, but arguably, this is Tool's strongest suit, foreign policy, and it's the one conspicuously absent from the topics. Yeah, that's just it's a glaring omission, a little suspicious, to say the least. Andrew Lawton, True North, is with us, host of The Andrew Lawton Show. Uh, not a great weekend uh, for the uh, for, for uh, the prime minister or maybe uh, maybe it was in terms of, you know, garnering the sympathy vote. This time he was uh, the victim of, well, let's say some aggregate was hurled in his general direction. Now, I know that there were a couple of people on the campaign bus who were struck. Nobody injured. Thank goodness. We don't condone it. Uh, but do you think this is actually going to work in Trudeau's favor? Well, it certainly is. I, I mean, the reality is he's been dogged by protests uh, of increasing uh, levels of, of tension and anger for the last couple of weeks. He's had to cancel events. He's had to uh, keep his schedule hidden. And, and in spite of the itinerary not being released, protesters still managed to find out where the liberals are going to be and, and show up in very large numbers. Put it this way. I live in London. And yesterday, I didn't even know uh, he was coming to town through any official channel. I, I heard through a, a reporter that I know that, you know, they caught Wendy was coming, but had no idea what time, what place or anything. Yet somehow dozens of these protesters apparently had better intel than I did. Uh, but the, the reality is the liberals are also not making the decisions that they could be making to avoid the exposure to protesters. And I, I'm not saying they're planning it. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy here. 
but they're having outdoor events. They're having events where he has to walk from a building to his bus and, and do it through a crowd. Whereas Aaron O'Toole has had very controlled events, just in contrast. He's had events where uh, they're not public rallies, they're invite-only crowds. They'll get him in through a back door if they need to. And, and you could take aim at that campaigning style, but it's showing that the leaders in the campaign do have an option if they want to hit the campaign trail without that exposure to protest. The Liberals are not doing that. So whether it's because they think it's not a big deal or they secretly think that they might be benefiting from it, they are knowingly exposing their campaign to this. Ah, uh, I'm going to go with, I know you won't say it, I will. I think it's the latter. Wink, n- wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We'll uh, take a quick time out. Andrew Lawton from True North, host of Andrew Lawton Show, stays with us. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Sounds like we better batten down the hatches. Some extreme weather headed our way. All right, Andrew Lawton stays with us. True North News, uh, TNC.news, the website, TNC.news, the website. How do we catch The Andrew Lawton Show? Andrew? Head on over to andrewlawtonshow.com, where my show is and the work of my colleagues is over at uh, tnc.news, as you mentioned. All right. Uh, just going back uh, to the uh, gravel tossing incident uh, for just a moment, I just noted, uh, noted that um, when the leader of the People's Party, Max Bernier, was struck on the head with an egg at very close range, uh, the media was practically completely silent. Um, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's unsurprising for a couple of reasons. Number one, people are only really interested in in this sort of form of political violence. And I, I use that broadly, but it is political violence, whether it's an egg or a, a handful of pebbles. People are only generally interested when it's in one direction. And, and also, I think augmenting that is that there is a media blackout on the People's Party, basically, which I think is indicative of other problems. Here you have a guy who, he got 1.6% of the vote in 2019. There are some polls that have him pushing 10% now. Now, it it could be that the polling is overrepresenting the PPC vote, but but even if he gets 5% of the vote, he'll be ahead of the Greens, most likely. And we're seeing that the media is virtually ignoring it. He's not in the debate. And it, it's shameful, but not all that surprising that when he gets a, assaulted with an egg, which is, I guess, the modern version or not modern, but, I, I, you know, the Canadian version of, of when European politicians were getting milkshaked a few years ago. I, that's not something of interest to the press. Right. According to one poll, uh, he was second place in Alberta after the conservatives. Do you think that'll hold? I mean, it's possible that the interesting thing will be whether that vote is all spread out or whether it's concentrated enough in a couple of ridings that maybe he could win a seat or two. I mean, again, this seems unlikely at this point, but he, he certainly is making a, a dent, and uh, he, he's engaging a lot more people than he did in uh, the last election. And a big part of that, I think, is because of uh, people fed up with things like lockdowns and vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. And, and his party has really become the only unified voice against a lot of these things. And it's why, uh, interestingly enough, you're a lot of people would historically think that the PPC's votes were coming from the Conservatives only. But in the last few weeks, most of the polls have showed the Conservatives ahead and the PPC still growing. So I, I think the PPC is pulling a lot of support from not traditionally Conservative voters, which is why we're seeing uh, such a high number if you take you know, the Conservative vote total and the PPC's vote total combined in, in polls. 
Uh, some more flip-flops from the conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, most recently on the gun registry. Before that, you know, he now he came out and he's uh, very much in favor of vaccine mandates. And of course, before that, it was the CBC. And before that, it was uh, the carbon tax. Um, I mean, what? where do you see his future if if they can't even pull out a minority this should be an this is like an empty net and he can't put the puck in the net like andrew Scheer with this current regime if if aaron o'toole can't win even a minority did the knives come out metaphorically well i mean that's the big question and you may remember and your listeners may as well that Andrew Scheer tried to hold on to power after that election. He was not going anywhere. And then a few weeks later, it it became clear how untenable it was for him to stay on as leader. Aaron O'Toole, I I think, is certainly going to make a pitch to stay on if he's not successful. Um, What we do know is that, you know, Justin Trudeau is in a very precarious place right now compared to the last election, compared certainly to 2015 when he was first elected. So so if Aaron O'Toole can keep Justin Trudeau to a minority, he could say, listen, I, you know, we tried. Uh, we're going to keep on holding him to account in opposition. If Trudeau gets a majority somehow, I, I don't think there's any way Aaron O'Toole can stay on as leader. But I, I also know that I, I think the bigger concern is what happens if he wins a minority and can't get the NDP or the Bloc Québécois to play ball. I mean, that could be kind of the nightmare scenario for the Conservatives, in which they win the election but don't actually get to govern. As it stands right now, if the election were held tomorrow, what what are we going to see? Conservative minority? Liberal minority? I I mean, I'm leaning conservative minority, but I I think there are a couple of caveats there, and, and a big one is, how big those PPC numbers really are. If, if, you know, the PPC in Alberta and elsewhere, if Maverick in Alberta, if they do really well and, and peel off enough support for the Conservatives, they could spoil a lot of Conservative hopes in, in various ridings. Another caveat is how well Aaron O'Toole does in Quebec. He, he's pinned a lot of hope there. But if the Bloc Québécois has a collapse and a lot of those votes go to the Liberals, that could could be the, the thing that keeps the conservatives from breaking through. So I, I think there's a conservative minority, but I, I wouldn't put a I'd put some money on it, but I wouldn't put a huge amount of money on it. Very quickly, as we roll into a break here, are these flip flops hurting O'Toole? You know, if I were to talk about Aaron O'Toole's position on anything right now, I think I should just do the opposite and then hope that by the time people listen to the podcast later on, he'll have, he'll have switched to that position. I, I mean, when, when you can look at a guy who released a platform three weeks ago and not even see him live up to the platform commitments he made, that's a big problem. Right. I guess he should write it on a Etch-a-Sketch. Uh, we'll take a quick time out. <laughs> stays with us, True North, host of The Andrew Lawton Show, back with more in a minute. Don't go away. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Well, stays with us for a few moments yet as we uh, catch up on the federal election campaign. The Green Party, just a, I want to spend just a few moments on the Green Party. They they have imploded from a self-sustained injury, and uh, I think they're down now to about 2% or 1.5%. I guess, where where is that their support going? To the NDP? You know, it's tough to say. I, I think a lot of it's going to the NDP. This is a crazy theory, but I also suspect a fair bit of it might be going to the PPC as well. Uh, because, again, you know, there are a couple of considerations there. Number one, the, the Greens have a 
very unpopular leader right now uh, as far as to the Green Party base. The, the party's had an implosion. Uh, Anime Paul's not really campaigning. Greens are already comfortable with this idea of voting for a, a protest party, a party that doesn't stand a huge likelihood of getting elected. And also a lot of them are, are very nature, naturist, na- uh, naturalist oriented. Uh, a lot of them are, are not, in my experience, all that keen on mandatory vaccines and vaccine passports. So for a few of them, I'm not surprised if green votes are going PPC right now. Interesting. Interesting analogy. Um, I want to get back to Trudeau for a moment. His uh, official photographer, Adam Scott, took down his Twitter account because I guess he inadvertently posted some photographs he shouldn't have. These were... Uh, Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, campaigning inside a hospital. And that's kind of a no-no because obviously through COVID restrictions, most people, you know, they can't go and visit a sick or a dying loved one or a friend. Uh, He he continues to flout the the uh, the rules, uh, you know, packing people into a small space, not wearing masks and so forth. And yet he gets away with it. Is he going to get away with this one without taking a hit? Oh, 100%. I mean, there were a couple of questions he faced from the media when he was violating uh, COVID restrictions in Ontario on at least two occasions. And, and you know what? Maybe people would ask about it, but then it became yesterday's news. But it's interesting, Richard, to see how selective he is about when he cares about these things. Like, this is a guy who will wear a mask outside for the cameras and then pack into a, an event hall in Ontario like Sardines. But when he was out campaigning in Alberta a couple of weeks ago, which had no restrictions at the time, he was campaigning outdoors and had limited capacity to, I think, 80 people. And they all had these socially distant circles on the pavement outside. Now, entirely possible he just couldn't get more than 80 people to show up to a rally in Calgary. But it it very much looked like he was trying to thumb his nose at Jason Kenney, uh, trying to say, oh, the Liberals are responsible and the Alberta government's not. But when it's not advantageous for him politically to follow these restrictions, he doesn't. Right, right. What does that say about an electorate um, where a leader and his party and his advisors can run such an inept campaign, just stepping in one landmine after another, and yet he's still in the running? He's not used to being challenged. I mean, my my late dear friend, Kathy Shadel, who was a tremendous blogger before her passing last year, had a great line to explain it. She said, liberals, it's different when we do it. And and that was pretty much the way they approach the world. The left just kind of says there are different rules for them than there are for the rest of us. And you aren't allowed to complain or call it out. Uh, So coming up again to the uh, the debate on Thursday night, um, does... Does O'Toole need a knockout punch uh, or, you know, what what at this point is going to turn things, say, dramatically in in the conservatives favor or the liberals favor? Is it is it uh, one more misstep on either side? What do you think is going to be the game changer? Oh, I think he absolutely does need a knockout. I mean, for the last few days, uh, the, the media spent the first week in a bit of the campaign going after Trudeau on Afghanistan on uh, why there's an election during a pandemic, but eventually that got old. The last few days, the story of the day has always been about O'Toole. O'Toole's flip-flop on this, O'Toole's position on guns. Bill Blair has been having press conferences every day for like the last five days on the Conservative plan to supposedly legalize so-called assault rifles. The, The Conservatives have to go back on the offense because they had a couple of good weeks early on in the campaign 
when Trudeau was on defense, and, and they need to recapture that somehow. And what about Jag- Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP? What, what does he re- realistically expect to come out of this election with, I guess, in, in terms of a number of seats, or um, what is he looking to accomplish in this debate? So, so he's asked, in, in a lot of ways, he almost has to do the impossible here. He has to straddle this line between uh, pointing out why uh, why O'Toole is slightly better than Trudeau, but also not looking like he's getting cozy with the Conservatives. Because this has been Justin Trudeau's tack against the NDP now, which is to say that a vote for the NDP is a vote for Aaron O'Toole. The Liberals jumped on uh, Jagmeet Singh when he said that he would conceivably, in theory, if necessary, work with the Conservatives in a minority situation. So the Liberals are trying to do that. Uh, The only way to stop the Conservatives is to vote for us, Stick which may have worked with Stephen Harper, because in 2015 there was such an unpopularity there. But I don't see that translating right now. What do you have coming up on the uh, the Andrew Lawton show? Who's next? Well, I'm actually going to be on the road for the next little while. I'm, I'm going to be in Ottawa tomorrow and Thursday at the debates covering those. And then I'm going to be on the road out west for a, a few days covering the uh, PPC campaign. Maxine Bernier will be out there. And then we'll have some odds and ends. But uh, you know what? We try to take a look at some of the bigger picture themes coming up on the show and also uh, delving into some of the more unique and, and ex- the eccentricities of a campaign that oftentimes uh, don't factor into the national coverage, but I, I think nonetheless are, are part of the story of the election. So we do a bit of both on the Andrew Lawton show. Uh, big, a biggest surprise this uh, this campaign for you? Um. No, but I'm still interested in it, I think is the big surprise. <laughs> uh, the 2019 campaign ended up just being a big snooze fest. The, the kind of the end of it was quite apparent at the beginning, uh, whereas this election does seem to have some uh, some turns and, and ebbs and flows and all that. So I, I think that it, it's shaping up to be an interesting and, and unpredictable campaign. It, it's quite quite good for, uh, for my own interest level, certainly, and I, I would assume that of my readers and listeners, too. All right. Great work as always, Andrew. The Andrew Lawton Show. Go to theandrewlawtonshow.com. And of course, True North, that's tnc.news, tnc.news. Andrew, hope you're uh, um, able to join us again before the uh, the election on uh, the 20th. Thanks so much for that. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Okay, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody and Jacob and Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow, God willing, to do it all over again. The irascible but lovable Lou uh, will be here. We'll push back against climate change alarmism. Climate change alarmism. Uh, Tony Heller will be here. And uh, a young student writing in the National Post will speak out against mandated vaccines in Canadian universities. And a, a fine writer... A Ghanaian Canadian who resides in Brampton, Samuel Say, you may uh, may have seen his uh, posts or his blog. It's called Slow to Write. Slow to Write. He has a lot to say about uh, racial, cultural, and political issues through, uh, I guess, the biblical lens. Samuel Say will be here. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. We'll talk to you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. In the meantime, I remain unbowed, unbent. Unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Tuesday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM.
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.